When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And it's coming through the middle. Recovering challenge from Edwards. Here's He's onside! Hater! He's got it! It's absolutely unbelievable! James Hater has a three-minute hat-trick at D-Court. Hi and welcome to episode 38 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast with me, back Sean Barker from sunny New Zealand. And me, Michael... Da- oh, sorry, I got the wrong envelope, Sean. It's actually Sam Davis here. Sorry, slight malfunction backstage there. <laughs> Topical humour, Sam. Well, it has been another mad week in football. Last week it was Pygate and this week Leicester's Claudio Ranieri was shown the door and with the rejuvenated Foxes winning on Monday night, AFC Bournemouth slip another point closer to the dreaded drop zone. But we're not going to be all negative just yet. So here's what's coming up on Back of the Net. So we start with Michael Dunn, who brings us the match report of Cherry's 2-1 loss at the Baggies. And after the fan thoughts, myself and Mr Barker are going to discuss events at the Hawthorns. Yeah, Sam will then bring his online review discussing the tweets and forum posts during the 90 minutes at West Brom, where it went from agony to ecstasy. Yeah, and then Sean and I will briefly go over events further afield, discussing the Leicester situation with Ranieri, as Sean said, being given the boot. And then his players rock up on Monday and win 3-1. So who is to blame for the demise of the Foxes this season? And, oh, playing devil's advocate here, would a managerial change ever be considered at AFCB? And if so, at what point? Sam's turning into, like, some gutter press. Daily Express, Daily Mail show. Sorry, folks. 
Anyway, well, you've probably seen recently that Cherries have another three TV fixtures which have been announced. So Sky are definitely sensing something happening with our club. However, before those games, there's another televised tussle to contend with. And that's on Saturday versus Manchester United at lunchtime. And Sam and I will preview this encounter. Ah, oh, wonderful, Manchester United. Well, before all that, we're going to kick off with Do You Remember This Week? And like on the last show, we're staying relatively recent as we hear the commentary of a match involving the Cherries. But can you tell me which one it was? Do you remember? Do you remember? The assistant this side and Andy Dursay, the referee. The corner's been taken quickly. Arter swung it in. Uh, it's up in the air, gets hung, hung up there and grab and guides it in. Performance opening goal of the season. Taking corner, Lewis Graben guiding it beyond Ben Hamer, who was left flat-footed. It was such an easy header. He berates his defenders. He larrups the ball away, and the new boys to lead uh, to the championship are off and away. Pugh still with it, worked in field now. Little spin and turn. Graben space to race, right-footed shot. Oh, what a goal from Lewis Graben! It's Dan Cormigan's was good. That was spectacular. 25-yard pile driver. Ben Hamer, no chance. Bournemouth back ahead. Do you remember? Do you remember? So there we go. That was this week's Do You Remember, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm just looking at Sean there, and he's got a little... He's got a little glint in his eyes if he knows that one. Sean, do you think you've got it? Oh, I, I think so, Sammy. Just thinking back to happier times at the moment, I think we could say. However, let's, uh, let's move on and we'll give you the answer to this week's Do You Remember at the end of the show. So you can keep thinking about that in the back of your head and have a little smile. Um, but now let's turn our attentions to what happened at the, Thor- Hawth- the Thornhorns. The Hawthorns, the Thornhorns at the weekend and talking us through all the action linguistically better than I am is our very own Michael Dunn. Our relegation battling Cherries fell to a fourth straight defeat when they went down 2-1 to a much improved West Bromwich Albion on a rainy Saturday afternoon at the Hawthorns. There were few surprises in Eddie Howe's team selection, with only a rare start for Mark Pugh turning any heads as Jordan Ibe dropped out with a knee injury. Despite this, Max Grader was still unable to make the bench, with the manager plumping for Lise Mousset over the Ivorian. I invoked all manner of superstitious mumbo-jumbo in the lead-up to this game in an effort to ensure that we got a positive result. But my endeavours were rendered in vain less than two minutes after kick-off when the curse of the early goal struck yet again as we took an early lead only to see it ultimately slip away in depressingly familiar fashion. Mark Pugh found Ryan Fraser with an impressive cross-field pass and although the wee man's first touch was akin to that of an elephant, it left him in a foot race with Baggy's defender Alan Nyam to reach the ball first. It was a contest the Cameroonians soon realised he could not win, so in desperation hauled Fraser to the ground. Referee Mark Clattenburg, who was performing the first day of his farewell tour, 
had very few protests to wave away from the home side's players when he pointed to the spot. Josh King then came out on top in an exchange of views with Harry Arter as to who should take the spot kick and promptly proved his opinion to be valid when he hammered the ball past Ben Foster into the right-hand corner of the goal. We might have extended our lead minutes later when Adam Smith tested Foster from distance with a left-foot pile driver. Unfortunately, no sooner had the former England keeper got a decisive touch to smudge his effort than Tony Pulis's side were level. Following an attempt on the consecutive header's world record by both teams, West Brom emerged with the ball, and after a swift passing move, Nasir Chadley found the advancing Craig Dawson, and the former Rochdale defender let fly from outside the box. Arta Boric looked odds-on to collect the shot comfortably until the ball took a significant deflection off Charlie Daniels' left toe and landed in the back of the Bournemouth net. Boric could not be blamed on that occasion, but had to accept the lion's share of responsibility when the home side took the lead on 22 minutes. Chris Brunt swung a corner into the melee of the Cherry six-yard box, which our big pole saw as his cue to punch the ball clear of the danger zone. Sadly, he was unable to make clean contact with the wet ball and succeeded only on hitting it behind him to the feet of the delighted Gareth McCauley, who could not miss from a yard out. Bournemouth pushed forward for an equaliser, and having seen how much Clattenburg enjoyed the limelight first time around, appealed vociferously but in vain for another penalty when Dawson accidentally blocked Pugh's cross with his hand. West Brom then looked to extend their lead before the break, with James Morrison a persistent threat and Boritz pulling out a decent save from a Johnny Evans header following another corner. Come the second half, we again demonstrated our vulnerability from set pieces when Chris Brunt's corner was headed onto the crossbar by Gareth McCauley and from the rebound, Brunt then found Dawson, who steered the ball past Boritz into the net, but the celebrations of the home fans were cut short by the linesman's flag. It was to be Dawson's last contribution as he almost knocked himself out getting to the ball, an event which prompted the introduction of Britain's favourite footballer James McLean. The baggies' grip on proceedings waned as a consequence as we put them on the back foot and sought to draw level. Ryan Fraser continued to be a thorn in the throstle side, winning a free kick which unlikely set-piece virtuoso Steve Cook saw blocked by Jake Livermore. Lee Smith replaced Pugh on 79 minutes and the Frenchman demonstrated why he has featured so little this season when he gave scant disregard to Eddie Howe's instructions about shooting from outside the box and smashed a long-distance effort which Foster just about managed to palm over. In six minutes of stoppage time, both goalkeepers had their work cut out as first Boritz denied McLean and then, after the Irish international reverted to type to upend Charlie Daniels, Tyrone Mings headed Ryan Fraser's free-kick goalwards only to see Foster again pull off an impressive save. The gap between us and the relegation zone is shrinking by the week, and with Man United up next, optimism is thin on the ground in and around Dean Court. Rage-inducing as our recent runner results may be, our only option is to stick with it for the remaining 12 games and hope our unswerving loyalty will help turn things around come May. And May certainly feels like a long time away, doesn't it? But thank you to Michael Dunn for the match report. And remember, you can follow him on Twitter at all departments for the latest Cherries news. Now, later on in the podcast, you'll be able to hear the views of yourselves and many more on the online review where we check out Twitter, the forums and many other places besides. Very interesting listening, that is. But in terms of the fan thoughts this week, we've got Matt as usual. 
We've got a new uh, person from the AFCB fans page. Thank you very much. And also the views of Jason Roberts and also Charlie Nicholas, who certainly isn't backwards in coming forwards with some uh, rather critical views about the cherries and the way things are going. But in terms of a song, well, we've all decided that we need to come together. So we've gone for the farm with All Together Now. And there's some very poignant lyrics halfway through that says, The same old story again. All those tears shed in vain, but nothing learned and nothing gained, and only hope remains. Too true. You know, in times like this, you want to be able to depend on something. You want to know that you can ride out times in the game, ride out times in the season. And Bournemouth can't do that. When they're playing really well, they play really well. Wiltshire, Arta, um, Josh King, they've got good players. Yeah. But when things aren't going so well, you don't think that they can batten down the hatches and just nick, nick a jaw or just find a time in the game where they can get themselves out of problem. And I think we're seeing that in many respects today. They started well in this game, an individual mistake. But after that, West Brom have just... I don't want to say beating them up, but they've just been a bigger, more resolute, more wily side. And they haven't had to do much. Bournemouth haven't really haven't really um, competed in this game with the physicality that West Brom bring. And I know West Brom have done that really well this season, but I think Bournemouth, that happens to them time and time again. Um, it's a very mediocre game once again. Um, feel like we're giving away opportunities far too easily, giving away goals far too easily, more or less even as well. And it needs to be sorted out and it's always at least one per game. At least we're not conceding these last two games we haven't conceded three. Tyron Mings, I, I what I've heard and what I've seen from the highlights of the game Tyrone Mings has made a massive improvement from Manchester City and West Brom. Um, what I've heard is he's made so many really good blocks and apparently had an overall solid performance. We were going to give it to someone like King or Fraser, but we thought Mings, he deserves it. I think he's excellent. The problem with Bournemouth is, yes, I've got a few suspensions and injuries to their defence, but they're chopping and changing. They're leaking goals because they don't quite know how to shape up when they don't have the ball. All the midfield players are, are similar in terms of they want to play, they want to pass, they want to go on the ball. The hard, the hard jabs you've got to do elsewhere is about disrupting people, and they just don't have that. And when you've got a goalkeeper who probably feels as if it doesn't belong there now because they wanted another one in to freshen it up. Any team who's leaking this amount of goals is in trouble. Have you got a problem with your goalkeeper? And as yet, he's not changed them. It's it's worrying, you know. It's a it's a trend that you look at the play. It's inventive. It's attractive. I can't really fault their effort, and they want on the ball, which is quite courageous. But you must have your structure right. If you've not got the structure at the back correct, 
then all that other stuff becomes worthless. So, yeah, three points dropped at the Hawthorns at the weekend. Well, it certainly wasn't a good one. And uh, just checking what people have been saying online, and you'll be hearing more about it later. Online, it wasn't a good place to be. Sean, was it a good place to be in New Zealand watching that? (laughs) The sun was shining. It was a bit warmer by the time I was watching the game. But, um, yeah, other than that, it was... It's all a bit same old, same old, isn't it? Like... The Cherries had gone away to Madrid and Eddie was quoted as saying, we've had some really good training sessions and we've come back a better team. But it all just still feels very familiar, doesn't it? That's the issue I'm having with the way that we play. Same kind of games and at the moment the same kind of results. Yeah, I don't know if it um, sort of transfers onto the pitch, but as as a fan... I feel really flat and sometimes, you know, I find as I just can't be enthusiastic, whereas previously you used to be excited about games, but um, I certainly am not feeling it. And on the pitch, the first 45 minutes at least, yes, I know we got the early penalty, but it just felt really lacklustre and and also paceless at times. Um, Can you put your finger on where it's going wrong, Sean, or is that a big question to ask? It is a big question. It's, you know, I think... I think one thing is, you know, Premier League defences are a lot more organised than the lower leagues. And I think that's one of the one of the things is that we are being our team is and tactics are being scrutinised and analysed way more than I think they ever have in the lower leagues. Because the I mean, the sheer number of staff that Premier League clubs have in terms of analysts and whatnot is is just huge. So teams can really break down how we play and combat that and i think that's that's one of the biggest issues i think we've been having is is that teams have seen this is how we shape up and they go well this is how we think we can we can stop it we hold our shape we we sit deep early so we don't let them get in behind because they've got the pace so we try and nullify their pace we let them have it out wide because um we haven't really got massive aerial threat when we put the ball into the box and to be fair, I think our delivery into the box has been pretty poor. So I think you could see that with West Brom going, go on then, you put it in the box, you see if see, you know, we'll deal with it, as as Palace did against us and, and others. So it becomes a little bit slow. We we do the slow build up and we're kind of trying to drag players out of position, but Premier League players are very disciplined and I don't think get caught out as much as say in the championship where we had games where we would tear teams apart and I think that's one of the things I've noticed certainly this year I think teams have got a lot wiser to us and so you go well how else do we beat teams Mm. so I mean yeah we did get the early penalty with uh, Josh King and it was a great Ryan Fraser run where it it did look like he miscontrolled it but it sort of set him on the path to uh, to earning that penalty didn't it he he always seems to earn penalties he's he's only played what not many games but how many is that now? Three, four, maybe? I know he's a little bit like you know, like when when Smudger gets the ball, when Smithy goes forward, and when he, you know he's about to lose it, and then you're expecting the tumble. It's almost as predictable as that with with Fraser. Difference being, I will say, is that Fraser, I think, more legitimately does get dragged down because he is just so fast. But at the same time, he he knows that's a strength. So you can see that if he's in and around the box, it's going to be a touch. 
and I'm going to go past you and you're going to have to drag me and total penalty and confident penalty. I know we used to talk about Callum Wilson giving the eye and then kind of scuffing it Mm. through that Sam Davis was how you take a penalty. Yeah, it was uh, the last you... time I yeah go on. Go on. Sorry, now after you. You know, I was about to say the last time I took one on a big stage, I I think I put it wide, Sean, didn't I? But in my defence, I had spun around about twelve times. This was <laughs> in front of the North Stand prior to a Premier League game against Manchester United with eleven thousand people watching. Yes, Sammy, I think I got one in that game as well, and uh, I think it went top corner. Yeah, but anyway, go on. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say that I didn't see it on the TV screen, but they kind of alluded to it in commentary. Um, The fact Mm. that Arta apparently was having a bit of a wrestle, which I can only think Harry was, you know, with the birth of his daughter, was hoping to get a baby goal. But um, yeah, apparently it was a little bit of a discussion over who was going to take it. But for me, you always let your striker score because strikers feed on goals. So for me, that made perfect sense. And yeah, as I said, great penalty now just before i talk about the west brom equalizer one thing i just wanted to mention whilst it was fresh in my head was um adam smith now i said this a couple of weeks ago on twitter the fact that i think sometimes he he does is he seems to break the attacking flow sometimes because he kind of holds onto the ball on the right and then he always cuts inside he never will directly run down the wing but um that is a frustration itself but there are a few times that he got into the exact same position as the goal he scored last season at West Brom, where he cut in on his left foot, and last time he managed to um, yeah, score in the bottom right-hand corner, and he had a he had a decent shot that this time went high and wide. You know, not that bad, but um, uh, you know, I am sidetracking somewhat, but it's just because uh, myself and Steve Wright were in agreement over uh, that uh, particular piece. But yeah. Oh, we conceded. And what was it? It was about five minutes. And, you know, I wanted us to hold on to it for a little bit longer. But it was Dawson with the goal and it was deflected off Charlie Daniels. Now, uh, as you'll hear in the online review a bit later on, people were kicking off as soon as that goal went in. But in my opinion, we didn't do an awful lot wrong with that. Or would you disagree? It's a funny one because I've watched it back loads because you're trying to see which player should have been on him because he was in so much space. And it's hard to really nail who should have been there because Sermon comes in, goes out of that position, but he goes to pick up a man. There's 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 a three-on-two situation on the right-hand side covering. You know, King's not in the shot, so should he have been all the way back to drop deep? Or I think Steve Cook isn't isn't picking anyone up so maybe he should have taken charge it was it I think they moved us around really well and we talk about moving people out of position regardless somebody should have been in that space because it was a huge space for Dawson just to step up and again is it just a slight lack of leadership or direction as to who's doing what role I mean and then of course with the shot itself yep I mean it's it's a fairly relatively straightforward save I think if if Daniels doesn't get that little loop, which is, as a goalkeeper, it's horrible when it takes that deflection because you know it's going to loop over you and there's nothing you could do. Mm, now, I wasn't there at the weekend, but um, I was watching it uh, on perfectly legal... Uh, yeah, anyway, we won't talk about that. But it's it's annoying because my phone has got, like, AFC Bournemouth as my save team. So when there's a goal, my phone goes off, right? But it's... The stream was about a minute behind the action. So I heard my phone go, and there's a certain sound effect it makes. And I thought, this is a goal here. 
And I thought, now, which way is the ball sort of going? And, you know, it was swaying towards the kind of West Brom goal for a minute and then it was hoofed forward. And obviously, you know, the goal happened. Um, On 21 minutes, I heard another little beep boop and West Brom had a corner. So I thought, oh, this is this is this is not going to be good here. But it was worse than not good. It was terrible. Now, Sean played with you uh, on a football pitch many a times and we've had horrible conditions. We've had gale storms. We've had horrible torrential rain. Now I know the wind was swirling around somewhat of the Hawthorns and it wasn't the best, but does that excuse what the big pole in our goal actually did? It was, you know, I have defended him very many times on this show and um, this, I mean, it was, it was awful, let's be honest. Like you said, there's the weather, yeah. the weather, whether the wind is swirling and it's wet. So in your mind, you are thinking about things differently because when you look at it, theoretically, he could have just, in theory, just caught it with two hands and held the ball. But goalkeepers tend to not, because of the movement, they, they tend to try and punch more. But when the weather's like that, punching with one hand is always a dodgy situation that's where you know the old two-handed punch comes in handy and you'll see it a lot where you know it's like the boom it's a bit like um ryu in street fighter where it's yeah yeah that kind of that kind of movement but he he seems to really get concerned about being penned in by opposing players we saw it the other week with the goal where he was more more interested in shoving I think it was Adam Smith, wasn't it? Instead of actually challenging for the ball. And that was the second that he was wrong-footed. And he actually wasn't under a huge amount of pressure. He was in front of the pressure. So he actually had a clear run at the ball. The ball's about head height. He's jumped, but it's only a little way. And it's just, it's someone who's, I think you have to take everything into consideration. The fact that it was so obvious we were trying to get Begovic in the middle of the season and goalkeepers is a is a different position to any other player because confidence plays a massive role bigger than i think if you haven't really played in that position it's hard to really understand the additional pressures that come as a goalkeeper because you do make a mistake and that's it and if you make a mistake then what happens is is every other cross that comes into the box in your head whether you want to think about it or not is the same thing's going to happen i can't let it happen again i can't let it happen again and that all plays into your mind and it's a terrible, terrible mistake. And it's, as I said, I think it's someone who he's not got confidence. He's he's a bit over it. He's he's fed up of the fans. And do you know what? I really, we talk about great support of our fans, but ironically cheering him when he catches the ball after the goal. Whoever's doing that, man, just, you know, I could get pretty wild about that. Because, and I know, he, you know, he turned around and that time he gave a little grin and in the past he's, put his fingers up or whatever else but yeah man he's trying to play with a with our crest on his shirt and that does not help the situation and and we bang on about we need to stay positive and we need to keep supporting the players and the supporting the team and you could challenge well he doesn't look like he's supporting the team and he doesn't clap afterwards i wouldn't have clapped afterwards i would have walked off if that was how people were treating me and it's just gonna he's just gonna go more into his shell and what do we do? Do we do we take him out and do we put Allsop in? Do we put this kid we bought from Sheffield United in? Feds is obviously isn't there. Like, what do we do? That's yeah. we've got a guy that's for his mistakes has played at the highest level. He is an older head, which means he's more experienced. 
and he's he's making mistakes. Yes, he is, and that was a shocker and indefensible what happened with that error. But what goes into that error, I think, is a bigger mental issue. And um, yeah, what what went on after that, I hundred percent do not agree with. Yeah, do you think it's somewhat he shoots himself in the foot with just the way he is when he's on form? He's got that kind of swagger. Even when we beat Liverpool four three, where Liverpool nearly made it four one with that corner that was like zero point zero 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 one millimeters nearly over the line, he it just kind of um, strolls away. Like, no, it's fine. I had it covered. It, I don't know. Do you think the kind of swagger he, he he goes from high to low? So he's he's one moment he's on the crest of a wave and he's strutting around the box. And then next minute, he's swearing at the fans or saying F off or something like that. He doesn't seem to have any middle ground, this guy. And I don't know. I've always wondered how socially he fits in at AFCB because you've seen him in interviews before where he says, you know, you know, he's very quiet, notoriously. He hates doing media stuff, which is fair enough. But there was one interview um, earlier last season where he was he was a troubled man. And yeah, like you say, I've got a feeling that surely this kind of talk of, you know, Begovic and stuff is, it has to be unsettling. But as someone said on the online review a bit later on, uh, he did also make some good saves as the match went on. He did. And, you know, players aren't robots. They're all different. Just think where you were. There's all sorts of different characters and some you like, some you don't like. And when I was at the ground a few years back and, was being fanboy and waiting for the players to come out after training. And I wanted to meet Burrich and, and get a chance to, you know, have a chat or whatever else or a signature photo signed undies. But anyway, um, you know, and he, he wasn't coming out. And then JT came out and I was like, oh, is Arda around? He was, he kind of laughed and was like, oh, I'll go and check for you. But he's normally the first one to leave after training. And yeah, he is a different character. I think goalkeepers are often different characters and I don't think it's a coincidence given the type of role that goalkeepers play in the team but but then you see the photo the a few weeks back where all the lads were out for dinner and Arda was standing up at the end and like seemed to be cracking a joke and was having a great time and you know he's, he posts photos on Instagram night before games where he's got his kids wearing the Bournemouth kit and all that kind of stuff so you know yes he's not he doesn't fit the mold of maybe what everyone wants and yeah he doesn't help himself but I think at the moment he and the defense need need help if we're talking about trying to give help to players then yeah I still go back to you know and he did make he did make some good good saves again you I still would say you'd expect him to make those saves but he did make them when he needed to. The one near the end, or with one where he kept, you know, came off his shins. Easy for him to take his eye off it and have his have his legs open, and it's gone through his leg. And you know, it's it's another mistake. So anyway, yeah. I mean, we could finish the chat about the game right there, but <laughs> the last sort of five ten minutes, we did rally. We did rally, and there were a number of chances, especially, you know, Tyrone Mings had a chance. Um, Lise Mousset came on, and uh, there was uh, some mixed opinion on Twitter, but then he had that shot from distance from 20, 25 yards that, um, to be fair, it was straight at uh, Foster. But, but either side, who knows? You know, it could have gone in. But um, did that maybe give you some encouragement at the end of the game, having those chances? And basically, um, we were... <laughs> Again, it was possession, wasn't it? But this time it was territorial possession. And we did forge out a number of opportunities. And one, he made a worldie of a save. But um, ahead of 
Manchester United on Saturday. Did that give you a crumb of comfort at all? Yeah, I guess it was. I mean, one, obviously West Brom are ahead, so you could argue they're sitting back a bit more. There was more urgency about our play and a bit more directness. And I don't mean that in a long ball kind of way. I just mean there was a sense of we need to try and get a goal here. And and yeah, Musa came on and just seemed a little bit different. Played, You know, you could argue played a little bit off script in that he had a bit more of a free role and he was just trying to get the ball and trying to make something happen and... Often, I think, is what we see with Jordan Ive. I don't think he always sticks to the script of how you should play as a Bournemouth player. And I and I think that's potentially been part of our issue is we've been so, you know, we have talked about this before. You know, we have a Bournemouth way of playing and we have a Bournemouth way of playing. And when we went one up, you didn't think, ah, oh, yeah, we're going to grind this out. You knew it was going to be an open game. It was going to be end to end. And when balls went into the box, you knew we were going to be vulnerable and... I think Jason Roberts' comments actually were really spot on, that when we're on form, we play really well and we can challenge anyone. When we're not on form, that's when we're struggling to pick up points. Yeah, and that's, I guess, is where it's looking at the run-in. It's, are we going to be grinding out results or are we going to pick up three or four wins where it's all going to click and we're going to blow Swansea away 4-0? Hmm. Very interesting. Well, I'll tell you what, listener, we certainly want to hear from you. So uh, make sure you give us a tweet at uh, AFCB podcast or uh, send us a message over Facebook, because how do you think it's going to go? And I hope you can understand that for our own sanity, at least, uh, Sean and I have have tried to salvage some kind of optimism after discussing that match. Yeah, so later on, we'll also be talking managerial changes. In particular, oh, Sammy, I can't believe you're making me say this. At what point do you think AFCB would say goodbye to Eddie Howe? It worked for Leicester. Would it work for us? This is horrible clickbait, Sammy. But anyway, before posing that leading question, we're going to catch up with events on Twitter, the forums and the blogs as Sam brings us this week's online review. Just like Newcastle fans last season, Cherries very much are aware of No, it's not a Welsh village. It's the form of AFCB in the last 10 games. L-L-W-D-L-D-L-L-L-L. Despite us garnering just 10% of the available points in this sequence of recent matches, Cherry's last game against Manchester City offered plenty in the way of optimism, with some footballing intent and guile that left supporters looking forward to proceedings with some fervour rather than fear. So the match against West Brom was looked upon by many as being a must-win game. Now, online, before kickoff, there were loads of tweets and forum posts indicating preferred team lineups, and the one person who we quoted in last week's show, at SamSummers123, got the team selection exactly spot on. So, Sam, if there's a bad result after this match against the Baggies, I'm knocking on your door, okay? So, let's see how it panned out. Well, it wasn't exactly long before there was something to cheer about with Josh King opening up the scoring. Cherry to the core. Wee man. Get in, Josh. Top scorer now. Liam Searle. Fraser doing as Fraser does. Hashtag AFCB. That's right, Liam. Wee man got the ball. Wee man got fouled. And wee man wheezes himself with glee as he earns yet another penalty. And Terry Person says he was too quick as usual. Tom Jordan said, get the hell in. 
But by the way, no one mentioned that we scored an early penalty against Hull. Oh, thanks, Tom. Just surely give us a few minutes to at least enjoy the... Ah, uh, one all. A deflected effort from distance, curling past Boric, finding the net, cueing the following reaction. It's Mr. O. State of that defending. Kids could do better. Sam Stapleton. The midfield really should be closing down to close the room for their goal, lamenting the lack of a defensive midfielder once again. And in a misremembered Spice Girls lyric, one became two soon after, a howler of monstrous proportions occurred as Arta Boric's misdemeanour once again resulted in West Brom taking the lead. I can only assume someone shouted, PUNCH! And rather than clear the ball with his fists, our pole in the goal down some instead, as his resulting wibbly-wobbly clearance went backwards instead of forwards. And Cherry's fans, after seeing the net bulge, weren't best pleased. Luke Ballard. What on earth was he thinking? Sam Stapleton. No defending Boric there, feeling more and more gutted that Chelsea didn't let Begovic leave. Ewan Law. Just F off, Boric. Tom Latsham. Boric is a joke. Shocking. Get rid. Rob Matt Lee. Said for ages we should drop Boric. He's more of a danger than the other people in the firing line like Sermon, Mings and Frano. So, at half-time, it was 2-1. So let baseman Kev on Twitter sum up events. First half summary. Great run by Fraser. King, easy penalty. Horrible deflection and a Boric howler. We look suspect on corners. Thanks very much, Kev. So, with 45 minutes to play, Ashley AFCB1, that's Ashley Grant on Twitter, summed up that there's 45 minutes to save the season in my eyes. Dave Watkins did reply, saying, a tad hysterical, Ashley. But the second half started and, well, it didn't get going until the very end, with Bournemouth initially offering little in terms of efforts on goal, not matching the vociferous away crowd, as Tom Latcham on Twitter commended the boy latch if our team were as good as our away support is loud we would not be in a relegation fight and despite a late surge and some great keeping from West Brom it did finish 2-1 and the instant opinions started to come out Pope Frano we need change to stay up give Howe one more match no win equals sacked at how Masterclass. Yes, Mark Pugh is a good dribbler, but when you've got the pace of an 80-year-old man, you cannot be a Premier League winner. Jake underscore AFCB. 15 out of the last 18 games since October the 29th have seen AFCB concede two or more goals. Not a new problem, despite the media only noticing over the past month. Now, in terms of the Art of Boric dilemma, unlike earlier, there was a slightly more considered approach from UTC in all departments on Twitter, who said, I'm not of the game, but it seems the difference was a keeper error, who subsequently made several saves, although that won't be remembered. However, on the other hand, Robin Latcham was less forgiving. Some excellent team spirit despite the defeat, a good long clap from players at the end, but the, but the refusal of Arta Boric to come over is poor. But maybe that's because of the jeering the Cherry faithful were aiming at our number one, as AFCB Rob explained. Absolutely disgusted with the reaction of the crowd to Boric on the second goal. Okay, yes it was poor, he knew it, but it hardly helped his psyche. So, some more post-match opinions. Dan Ratu. Four wins from the remaining 12 to stay up. Hard to see where they're coming from, but we need to stem the individual errors. AFCB, keep the faith. 
Patrick Devitt tweeted us to say, This season has to be branded as the year of missed opportunities. Howe's going to need a miracle to keep them up. But on a slightly more optimistic note, Jack Darch tweeted to say, Disappointing, but at least they gave their all in the end. In real trouble now, but we can grind through. Jackson94 Mark, For me, it was another good performance, but individual errors have cost us so many points this season, it's a bit worrying. Steve Cherries, Played well today, one howl from Boric cost us, Mings and Cook were good, very promising though for the rest of the season. Arta was off the pace. Now over on the web, there were some considered approaches from Peter Bell and Tom Jordan respectively. On Cherry Chimes, AFCB need to have a few game plans for when they do get ahead and are not inviting pressure on themselves by overthinking or overcomplicated passes when all they need to do is play through the phases and get the ball up the pitch. Keeping the foot on, on the gas is a well-known phrase when you get ahead and we need to see more of that in the next few matches for the Cherries. Tom Jordan. Are we in a relegation dogfight? Most definitely. But do I think we'll get relegated? Absolutely not. This has been a horrible start to the year and we need to get up and running again and quickly. But I have hope that the squad will get out of this rut that we're in. They've proven all how great they can be and I'm sure it's only a matter of time before the results start coming again. And looking ahead, Ollie G on Twitter said, Can't wait to travel to Old Trafford on Saturday to watch Zlatan take on Boric. Crying face emoji. Hashtag AFCB. But to conclude, let's not forget, this club has a history of being triumphant in the darkest of times. At the moment, we're four points from the drop zone in the Premier League and we have time and games on our side. Let's pull together and let's not underestimate Eddie Howe's will to win. As always, he will find a way. But we do agree, it's not going to be an easy ride. So yeah, Sean, I think it's what they they call well, it's going to be an emotional roller coaster this next uh, few months. But uh, hey, I just wanted to, to uh, speak about Tyrone Mings because uh, Stephen Allen and Mark Jackson there um, were speaking about the fact that he improved in that game. And just reading on Twitter and on a few forums, it seemed to be the case that people uh, thought he had a good performance. Were you of that ilk? Yeah, I saw lots, some people were saying, oh, he was man of the match and that kind of stuff. I don't know. I... Yeah, I don't know. I felt maybe a little bit different. Um, he's still young and he's been thrown into a team that's not defending well. And yes, I think he did look more assured than we have seen in previous weeks. I still wasn't 100% confident, I'll be honest. Um, I mean, he made that really good ta- last-ditch tackle on Rondon, which had come from an aimless long ball that he'd let Rondon get the wrong side of and if he wasn't absolutely on the money there because it was a last ditch tackle Rondon would have been down it would have been a penalty and maybe he would have been sent off he did that terrible pass which I think he was aiming for Steve Cook and then it kind of went halfway between Steve Cook and Boric and uh, only an absolute blatant body check from Cookie stopped uh, Rondon getting through and then yeah the 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 goal came from the corner that came from, again, Ming's kind of getting caught and making a last ditch. I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'm being a bit harsh on him. But for me, I'm still, I'm still not confident with our back line. But again, you know, due to, you could say, our recruitment policy, this is what we've got. And we've got a guy learning on the spot. And, yeah, maybe, you know, he's getting, 
yeah, maybe he is getting better. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, yeah, uh, I think he did all right. I think, uh, yeah, I think he did okay. He did a few sort of last uh, challenges and uh, he is getting better. He is in an unfamiliar role. I, I, every time I get the ball, I get this horrible feeling, which, you know, I shouldn't have with a professional footballer. He looks very uh, actually unnatural on the ball and to be fair I never really um appreciated him or took notice of him much when he was at Ipswich I mean we had many tussles against Ipswich most of them like Watford <laughs> were draws but uh, Mings wasn't uh, someone who I really kind of looked at so I'd be interested to sort of look back and see uh, his kind of show reel maybe Ipswich town would have put something together um, when he left uh, the club. But uh, hey, Ipswich Town couldn't even acknowledge Brett Pittman's birthday recently, whereas AFC Bournemouth <laughs> did. So who knows whether that happened? But yeah, um, I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence with Tyrone Mings. But um, it's great to see people's views. And uh, if you're kind of tweeting about AFC Bournemouth and I like your tweet, beware. Because it either means I like it or I'm going to use it on the podcast. So so there you go. But hey, Sean, it's been a very interesting week in football, hasn't it? I mean, Claudio Ranieri, I, I didn't quite expect that. But hey, it seems to have worked. But then are the Leicester players snakes? I mean, what what's your opinion of that whole debacle there at the King Power? They've gone from like being everyone's second team to now being the side <laughs> yeah. that... Everyone's saying, oh, I hope they go down. You know, it was, a, it was a bit like Sutton United, wasn't it, with the FA Cup? Everyone was rooting for them, and then they did the deal with that newspaper I'm not even going to name, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, really? Oh, well, come on, come on, Lincoln. But yeah, football today, eh, I guess, is that that's football today. The penalties are given by leaning into someone and going down, and it's it's the way the game is. Managers get sacked because you're on a bad run of form, and that's the way it is, and... I mean, if they'd have finished, you know, 14th in those in last season and this season, Leicester fans would have been happy. The board would have been happy. The guy goes and wins them the Premier League and then gets sacked. And he gets sacked because the players, I think, peaked last year. Their careers aren't going to get any better than it got. And hey, we're all superstars now, and we can do whatever we want. And oh, have we got another another relegation battle? Oh, I don't know if I'm really into this. Oh, it's the manager's fault, you know. It's yeah. I I feel sorry for the guy. I feel sorry that this is the way football is. And you know, we, this is what we talked about. Managers, you know, teams go up and down. They have good times and they have bad times. And we talk about fans sticking by clubs during good times and bad times, you know. And it's like, well give a manager a chance you know or if it wasn't going to work i don't know i feel i i think in what he did deserved better i think i think he deserved better from those players who do they really care they still get in their big flash cars at the end of the day and you know vardy i see scoring and against liverpool and he's giving the big one to the crowd as if he's always been doing it and it's like well come on mate you've been pretty shocking Mm, but I mean, if if a manager is maybe motivating players in a different way than he was, say, 12 months ago, I mean, surely it's in the best interests of the club to not have him there. I mean, yes, the players are are the ones ultimately responsible for what's going on, but they are led by the manager. And if the manager is doing things in a different way that they're not happy with, I mean, what can be so different in 12 months 
you know, I don't know. Obviously, the the owners cannot sack the 11 players because it doesn't quite work like that. It, it, it certainly makes sense to get rid of Claudio Ranieri. But yeah, I mean, I'm playing devil's advocate. I, I was really sorry for the guy, but it seems that, you know, whether morally it's it's right or wrong, it could be the decision that keeps Leicester in the Premier League. And it does make me feel a little bit sort of awkward with that, which brings me to my devil's advocate question, Sean. Um, I hate even saying it, but Eddie Howe, we haven't won in ages. We've won one in the last 10. We've conceded uh, ridiculous amounts of goals. What is it? 18 in the last six or something. I, I was just reading on the BBC website. Um, at what point should or would Eddie, well, at what point would he get sacked? Now, would he take us down and we would keep with him for the following season or, or what? I mean, you hear Jeff Mostyn sort of say various things, but the more losses that happen, obviously the more irate the fans are going to be, especially the JCLs, the Johnny-come-latelys. If, if we got relegated and if we had a shocking season in the championship and we got relegated from the championship and we found ourselves in League One at that point, this just to be devil's advocate, I'll go along with it, Sam. You've, 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 I've clicked the bait. I've clicked the link. I'm in now. I'm on this website. There's adverts all over it. Steve Bannon, I think, is behind this website, but I'm in it. I'm in this conversation. At that point then, I think you'd go, okay, you know, any talk of now or whatever is absolute tosh, in my in my opinion. We, I still s- struggle to believe that we are in the Premier League and... In the grand scheme of our rise, meteoric rise, I still think we are absolutely overachieving as a club in terms of what we're doing. And I think that's huge respect to the players and the management. Um, and if, after all this is done, if we become a mid, mid-table championship side and we're challenging whatever else, if you've been around long enough with the club, I think we'd still go, man, we've come a long way. And I don't think we can forget about that. Having said that, does Eddie do everything right? No. Is he quite, is he over loyal to his players? Possibly. Is he stubborn to his systems? Possibly. Has he surrounded himself with all his ex-players who are mates of his because he trusts them? Whether they are the best people for the job or not, who knows? You know, are our ex-players the best guys to be involved heavily in our recruitment? Has our recruitment been right the last however many years? I don't know if it has been, to be honest. Have we got the best out of some of these players that we've signed? Um, Probably not. There's players that we've signed who have not achieved. There are a few that have, but there are some that haven't. I think we've got a lot wrong. Has he lost the support of the players? Have the players done a Leicester? No, they haven't. They're 100% behind him. We're in a tough league and we're in a tough position and our squad is not a Manchester City. Mm, Now, uh, yeah, I mean, one thing I just want to say, there is no one more diligent or more hardworking at the club than Eddie Howe. I mean, you see in all the interviews and stuff, you see how hard it works. He is not he is not uh, ignorant of what's going on. He will know what's happening results wise. And some people talk on Twitter like he doesn't even realize. But. Do you think sometimes you can be in such a bubble that you don't really appreciate sort of what's going on right now? Because I know he's got his sort of long-term plans and all that kind of stuff. But do you think maybe sometimes he doesn't actually see what we see on the pitch? 
Uh, no, I think he's an incredibly smart guy. I think he's in all our interviews and and the talk, and you know, we have known Eddie since he was a kid. Let's be honest, we've seen him grow up, and he has always been really driven and really focused. And um, you know, I don't think you can ever challenge that. I don't think he gets swept up in moments. Um, and I think he is trying to get the best out of the players, playing the system that he's ingrained in them. And yes, how do we get out of this is, I guess, the the question. But what do we do? So we, we go and get rid of Eddie. We've got this this groundwork that we've put in place that, that the owners have trusted in Eddie. They've let him dictate the club. So the club is Eddie. If Eddie was to go because he's been sacked or he goes to Arsenal at the end of the year because Wenger's gone... What are we left with? That's a, always been my concern because if he was to walk away, he would take his backroom with him. Would he then take his analysts? Would he take his recruitment guys? Would he take his coaches? Mm. What are we left with? We're left with a shell of a club. And we've we've put ourselves in that position because of what Eddie Howe has done for the club. And we talk about Ranieri pulling off a premiership win. I think what Eddie's done, I still think I would argue is 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 a bigger achievement than what Ranieri did. It was a perfect storm last year. The big clubs were all unperforming. Um, Nigel Pearson had got a well-drilled team that was working together, bloody blah, blah. He didn't tinker and he kept it going. And then they got that momentum. And But what, when you look at what Eddie's done and the way he's built our club, and it's Eddie that has done that, that's why, for me, it's just absolute nonsense to talk about getting rid of him. And, you know, it's... It's tough. And yes, we might get relegated. We might get relegated, folks. That could happen. And if it does happen, I still wouldn't be saying Eddie has to go. Because if we're in the championship and that's not me settling for less, that's just the way it is. And you know what would make it a lot better, though, Sean? Getting three points this weekend at Man United. We can do it. Come on. Hi, I'm Michael Botto, and you're listening to Sean and Sam making some noise for the boys on Back of the Net. Yep, so we travel up to Manchester on Saturday, and it's a half-past 12 kickoff. and I've just got to say congratulations and well done to everyone who goes up, because Sky shifted it from what was going to be a 3 o'clock kickoff. so it's an early start for everyone, but well done if you're making the trip. But, hey, I hope you're feeling good about it, because me... Oh, I've just looked at United's form. It's pretty damn good. They're the only Premier League team, actually, that hasn't lost in the last 10 games. And in fact, just looking back through the results, the last loss in the Premier League was back in October. Now, at the weekend, of course, they played Southampton in the EFL Cup final. They won 3-2 and it was a it was a decent game. And dare I say it, dare I say it, I actually wanted Southampton to win. Ah, sorry for saying that, but I don't know. I just, I just felt as though they played really well. However, Man United probably shaded it, and then yeah, Ibrahimovic popped up on the 87th minute with a winner. They're scoring goals for fun at the moment. They're looking pretty solid at the back. Their fans, Sean, are going to be surely pretty optimistic about Saturday, aren't they? If I was a Manchester United fan and I had a ticket to the game, then you've got to be expecting to go, have a nice time, get to have a selfie in the stadium and watch plenty of goal celebrations. So, Sean, 
you know, given United's incredible form recently, how how are we going to face up to this challenge at Old Trafford? Yeah, it's. I guess my biggest issue I have and going into the game is is thinking about how we're going to line up and how we're going to play and what formation or whatever. Because have we got any other way to play? That's where I still struggle with. Are we? You know, we don't. I don't feel like we're going to go there and we're going to try and you know, stifle the game, kill any momentum and try and sneak a goal because I don't think we can play that way. We have this thing when we play against some bigger clubs or in bigger stadiums where we try and keep possession of the ball and we try and quiet the crowd down and take away that enthusiasm and momentum. So I guess that's, I see, is how we will potentially go into this game is trying to keep the ball early and don't let United have it. When you're playing against quality like Manchester United, that's the problem is that at some point they're going to have it. And even if they only had the ball for 40% of the time, you feel like they're going to hurt us versus what can we do? So that's where I struggle with how we're going to shape up. So in terms of the formation then on Saturday, I mean, what what are you thinking? Well, uh, for me... I would love to see Frano back. So if if he's available and if he's fit, then I'd be having him over Mings every day of the week. I'd love to see that core back four. So we're talking Frano, Smith, Cook and Charlie Daniels. Arta Boric, yes, there was a blooper. But I think um, what he can do for us in goal, uh, he does produce some incredible saves as well, like uh, UTC and all departments said in our online review earlier. So I, I don't think I'll be dropping him just yet. Um, interesting. Interestingly, I saw a tweet from Jamie Williams on Twitter, actually, and uh, he was talking about uh, bringing Josh King out wide and, and playing Benicophobia up front. So you'd have be having Josh King on one side and Fraser on the right. And then, yeah, you'd have the same midfield three and then a Fobe up front. Uh, what are your thoughts, Sean? Um, yeah, it's it's a tough one. Like King has said that his number nine position is his preferred position. Um, and to be fair, yes, he has scored goals there. Is he a better threat out wide? Arguably, I think he might well be. The issue I have with him up the top still is that there are times where he will drift wide and will come and get the ball and cause a threat out wide because he just runs his socks off. But there's no one in the box, and we don't really have those midfielders that are, you know, Arta will get forward, Wilshire will get forward, but rarely do we see them getting onto that six-yard line. Apart from when Wilshire did, actually, ironically, once in the game at the weekend where he had almost had that header. But generally, you know, and you talk about the United-Southampton Cup final and you watch Gabbiadini playing there for Southampton yeah. up front. That guy will continue to score goals because if you just watch him and you watch his movement, it was like it was almost like watching Van Nistelrooy at times, actually. Like, I love just watching strikers and watching the runs and the way that they think and how do they get in between defenders and how do I get into the box and how do I get into a position to be able to swivel and score the goal. When we signed a Fobe, we thought he was that type of player and he got those goals with a one-touch finish and we thought, oh, yeah, here we go. But he's evolved into the Bournemouth style where he's dropping deep and picking up the ball and whatnot and... Arguably, Glenn Murray was that type of striker that would be on the end of chances, but we don't create those kind of chances. So that still concerns me. So do we, I don't know, do we, if something's not working, do you go crazy and do you change it? Do you change it all? And do we put King and Moussa up top or do we have Moussa up top? (laughs) 
on his own with King behind him? Do we have Fraser on one side? Do we have Ibe or Gradle on the other? And do we just go, right, you front three or four. Your job is just to try and make something happen up there. And the rest of us will sit tight and try not to concede something. Do we throw in Lewis Cook if he's still in the club and, you know, get him a game? Do, you know, like, like seriously, what do we do? Do people want Boric to be dropped? If we dropped him now, that's it. We'd never be able to bring him back because if you do that, you totally kill any confidence he did have left. And that's it. We'll see out with all swapping goal or that kid. You know, it's, yeah, I don't know. Do we go radical and, or do we, do we, do we probably line up with a back four, like you said, the regular back four that, you know, has conceded a lot of goals, but it's more consistent? Or do we continue with Mings? We keep the midfield three the same. We keep Pewey out wide and we keep Fraser and we go with King and we go, hey, maybe this time it'll be different. That's that's where I struggle to see what's going to happen. I think that if we had more points at this stage in the season and given Manchester United's form, given those two variables, if we had more points, then I probably would be, as manager, using this game as a free hit. And I would be playing people like Mousset and Lewis Cook and, you know, giving the sort of these types of players a go because at the end of the day, we're not expected to, you know, do anything against Manchester United really, realistically. However, given the predicament we're in points-wise and the fact that it, it is um, a crucial game, even though it's not one that we would consider must-win, it's one that we need to put out our strongest and sort of most proven lineup, I suppose. But... Hmm. It's going to be an interesting one. But I've got I've got a few questions actually to ask you, Sean. Um, um, is this off air three... privately or oh, no, 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 the show? Are... Okay. <laughs> it's to do with the show. Well, in fact, I've got a fourth question to chuck in. My first one, I'm going to just say to you now, because you're talking about Jack Wilshire. Okay. Will Jack Wilshire score before the end of the season? Uh, ping. Yes, it will be a uh, free kick. Interesting. Secondly. What is your prediction for the match at Old Trafford on Saturday? Ping! Manchester United 3, AFC Bournemouth 0. Nil. Going for nil. Okay, question three. Do you genuinely believe that AFC Bournemouth will get relegated? Ping! No. <laughs> You, you went on X Factor all us on us there, Sean. I was wondering who it's going to be. Um, and then, interestingly, on Twitter, Sam Summers one two three. He ran a poll that's had a pretty good feedback, hundred and sixty votes, so a reasonable cross section of the AFC Bournemouth community. And he asked, "Do you genuinely believe AFC Bournemouth will be relegated? What do you think the percentage split would be between yes and no?" Ooh, tough one, given. Given sometimes you have to take reality away when it talk, when people are talking about their online opinions, uh, Donald Trump, um, I would say, I'll go on, 73% said we will get relegated. Ah, well, uh, interestingly, only 40% said that we would get relegated Ooh. and uh, 60% saying that we won't. So there you go. So uh, before we wrap up, though. I've got to make my own prediction, and uh, I am going to go for Man United are so strong at the moment, and they're looking really good, but it's it's very hard as a Bournemouth fan to actually predict against us. So, Sean, it's going to be a two all draw. There, I've said it, I've said it. 
It's like having John Williams as co-commentator, even in the darkest of times. We'll get one more chance. We'll be all right. Well, maybe he was right. But uh, I've got to, yeah, I've got to flag your prediction, Sam, on the basis of I've been watching you on webcam. And it's a beautiful, <laughs> it's a lunchtime here in, in sunny Wellington, New Zealand. It's late night there in Dorset. And Sam has been supping on beers. He's lining up a banana beer, banana bread beer. Oh. It's lovely, and then an organic honey. Oh, it's what you've got your check shirt. You've been eating your gluten free tacos, and you've oh, my word. You've got your subscription to I don't know whatever whatever hipsters read these days. I don't know if I can believe a word you say, Sam. Sean, I might even go vegan. Now, just before we go, I want to go over the do you remember from the start of the show. Now, Sean had a twinkle in his eye when he was listening to the clip, and I'm sure many of you got it at home, but do you remember the game? It was a it was a lovely sunny Saturday. Lewis Graben opened the scoring at Dean Court, only for the particular team to equalise. Now, we didn't play this bit of the clip, but Jan Kermigan equalised, and then Lewis Graben came up trumps with a 20-yard screamer and buried it in the bottom left-hand corner, making Bournemouth the 2-1 victors over Sean. Charlton. And it was the first game in the championship. So it was 2013. Just before we got absolutely pumped for a couple of away games if i <laughs> right oh yeah <laughs> that was uh was it's... that huddersfield and watford wasn't it yeah yeah it was where it was was it five or six goals if you see or whatever it was but anyway oh. but, but in happier times it was uh it was a beautiful way to start life in the championship <laughs> oh man and who who knew that then a season later would be winning the, oh it's just it's just mad 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 stuff but anyway uh sean and i we've been slaving over this podcast this is episode 38 and it does take time to put together um sean and i are both self-employed and uh sean was supposed to be working today but i've i've been sort of using up his time asking him questions about how to use the software because i'm trying to learn it myself on my mac and it's just oh it's all new to me but um sean thank you for giving up your time and uh, yeah if you want to support us here at back of the net then you can donate in one of two ways really you can just uh, chuck a few quid our way by by going to afcbpodcast.com slash donate and uh, we really we really really would appreciate it and we've also got t-shirts as well and eddie did have a dream and that dream is still being fulfilled and you can walk around with that beautiful t-shirt so go to afcbpodcast.com slash shop or just check out the funding link on our website as well and also, if there are any local businesses that you know of that would like to get involved, they can also sponsor the show as well. We've got a fact pack on our website that shows how many people are listening. Yeah, a fair few, let me just tell you that. And uh, it'd be great to have um, a brand just associated with our lovely podcast here. Yeah, thanks. I know it's, yeah, it sounds like we might be groveling sometimes. And I know when we set the show up, you know, we weren't thinking, oh, let's make loads of money, but... I guess when we set it up, we didn't know how many people would listen, but we can see, and um, we're so, well, one, really chuffed and impressed with the numbers, but also grateful to you 
that you listen to us every week so we hope you enjoy it otherwise you know why would you be listening but and we've taken on board feedback and we've tweaked the show and we've made it a bit bigger and all that stuff but you know the realities are is yep it does take us time of time that we're not making money and you know it's we're looking at next season and how we can make the show viable going forward so you know if you do enjoy it um there's shows where you say well i'm gonna put in you know a pound a show i pay one pound to listen to this show and there's you know 38 in a season whatever else that's up to you but anyway you don't have to you can continue listening that's cool we still love you but if you can help um yeah the realities of running a podcast i guess so never all podcast people have the same issue unless you're sponsored by squarespace which um we're not yet but squarespace are great i love love you squarespace really do <laughs> really do but anyway that's 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 it for another week of the show so we hope you have enjoyed it and coming up is manchester united so we will be back next week for another episode of back of the net that afc bournemouth podcast And it's coming through the middle. Recovering challenge from Edward Hughes. He's onside. Hater. He's got it. It's absolutely unbelievable. James Hater has a three-minute hat-trick at Dean Court. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.